0: Toledo consider this it's February the 10th 2018 you're a journalist sitting in a palace in Istanbul but it's not any old palace it's the Yildiz palace the palace of the Ottoman Sultan Abdul Hamid II widely recognized as the final effective Caliph, You enter the palace and the grandeur is striking. The vaulted ceilings are covered with artistic renditions of historical scenes and panels overlaid with gold. The floors are covered with the finest rugs and tiles that money can buy. You realize this is a place of splendor as you take your seat. Because today is no ordinary day. Not because you're going to hear from Turkish President Erdogan, but because you have a feeling you know what he's going to say. This is no ordinary event. You followed President Erdogan's speeches over the years and you're used to his fiery assertiveness. Today is not just a political rally, it is the commemoration ceremony marking the centenary of the death of Ottoman Sultan Abdul Hamid II. Erdogan ramps up his speech. The Republic of Turkey, just like our previous states that are a continuation of one another, is also a continuation of the Ottomans, claps resound through the room. He continues, of course the borders have changed, forms of government have changed, but the essence is the same, the soul is the same, even many institutions are the same. More claps, Erdogan adds that Sultan Abdul Hamid II is one of the most important, most visionary and most strategic-minded individuals that made his mark over the past 150 years. Even more claps. Such are the parallels being drawn between modern Turkey and the glory of the Ottoman Empire. After nearly a century since its official abolishment, caliphate motifs, references, and lingo are starting to reappear across the Middle East. From Toledo Society, I'm Professor Saeed Khan, and this is 1400OMG, your guide to what the hell happened in modern Muslim history. In this series, we look into the key events of the Muslim world over the last two centuries, and dig deep into some of the root causes of the situation many find themselves in today. Today's episode is the second of a two-part series that looks into the fall of the caliphate. In the last episode, we looked into the internal factors within Turkey that led to the official abolishment. After the Republic of Turkey was declared in 1923, the Ataturk government officially abolished the role of the caliph one year later in March 1924. Today we look into the external factors that led to the fall of the caliphate and also learn of the bid by Sharif Hussein from Mecca to become the new Caliph, an Arab Caliph. We hear of the rise of the Saudi government of al-Najd and reflect on where we are today. Our journey begins in India with the Khilafat Movement. The Khalafat movement is a pan-Islamist movement initiated and led by two brothers from British India, Maulana Muhammad Ali and Maulana Shaukat Ali. The movement makes an effort to influence the British government to preserve the Ottoman Caliphate and restore the Caliph's rightful position as the head of the Muslim world. The movement has a strong presence in South Asia where it teams up with the Indian National Congress to oppose British rule through non-cooperation. Even Gandhi endorses the movement. But the Ali brothers break off ties with Gandhi after he continues to insist on a path of non-violence, especially after the 1922 Chauri chara incident where 22 policemen were killed. The Khilafat movement loses much of its influence over the situation in Turkey after Ankara is recognized officially as Turkey's government by the British in 1923 by the Treaty of Lausanne. With the ineffectiveness of the Khilafat movement exposed, Atatürk is free to abolish the caliphate once and for all in March 1924. It's March 11th, 1924, barely a week after the Turkish parliament has abolished the office of the caliphate. A new contender or pretender emerges for the title. Sharif Hussein makes a claim for the caliphate His claim is based on his being the governor of the Hejaz, the custodian of the two holy mosques in Mecca and Medina, as well as his membership in the clan Banu Hashim, the same clan as the Prophet. Mind you, Hussein's claim receives endorsement from the last Ottoman Sultan, as well as the second-to-last Caliph, Mehmed VI. However, Hussein's claim lacks support from the wider Muslim world because he is seen as a traitor and an opportunist who collaborated with the British against the former Ottoman Caliphate only for self-gain. The perceived illegitimacy of Sharif Hussein by the Muslim world motivates a Najd-based Arab chieftain, Abdulaziz Al Saud, to move upon the Hejaz. in 1924. Ibn Saud becomes suspicious of the British installation of Sharif Hussein's sons in Iraq and Transjordan. Faisal is installed by the British as King of Iraq in 1921. Abdullah was installed as King of Transjordan in 1922. This is done, in part, as a token of appreciation for the Hussein family and its instrumental role during the Arab revolt, which expunged the Ottomans from the Syrian province. The revolt makes way for the British and French to implement their own strategic aspirations and objectives pursuant to the Sykes-Picot agreement of 1916, dividing Syria into mandate territories. Another reason why the British installed the two sons of Sharif Hussein as kings is because they think that they can count on the over-reliance and the over-dependency each monarch would have on the British to provide protection and assistance during their governance. This reliance will allow the British to maintain their mandate hold on the lands and their resources, especially that of Iraqi oil. Jordan is seen as a critical buffer zone to keep the French away from the key British strategic assets, oil in Mesopotamia and the Suez Canal in Egypt. Just a quick note regarding Toledo society. 1400 omg is one podcast in a network of podcasts called toledo society to find out more visit toledosociety.com for a moment imagine you're a journalist in the arabian gulf sent to cover the bitter feuds between the various tribes at the turn of the 20th century there are two main kingdoms the hashemites who are based in the Hejaz, that is mainly in Mecca and Medina. They're led by Sharif Hussein. Then there is the Al Saud, or the Saudis, who control the Najd, or modern day Riyadh. Al Saud is led by Abdulaziz Al Saud. Now, Sharif Hussein is no soft guy. He declares an Arab state, independent of the Ottomans in 1916, and you may recall from our episodes on World War one that with the help of T.E. Lawrence, none other than Lawrence of Arabia, he also lays siege on Ottoman-controlled Medina, which lasts for three years, and saw many Ottoman soldiers starve to death. However, in 1916, once he revolted, he declared himself the King of the Arabs. The two kingdoms, the Hashemites and the Al Saud, fight for control of the Gulf until finally, in 1925, the Saudis win. Following his defeat, Sharif Hussein is sent into exile. In 1927, under the Treaty of Jeddah, Britain recognizes Ibn Saud as the sovereign king of Hejaz and the Sultan of the Najd. In return, Ibn Saud recognizes Britain's special relationships with coastal rulers and pledges to respect their domains. Later in 1932, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia is established. It's important to note that the al-Saud family does not make a claim for caliphate. But in many ways, their control and authority over Mecca and Medina makes many in the Muslim world deferential to their position, rule, and influence. In essence, the Al Saud family is able to become a pseudo-caliphate without having to assert the real office and run the risk of potential criticism or rejection. For many, The end of the Caliphate coincides with the demise of the last great Muslim empire. As a result, the Muslim world suffers under colonial rule and a loss of agency and self-determination for decades. The decentralization of Muslim authority and the manipulation and exploitation of Muslims by external factors often pits Muslim against Muslim to fill the vacuum. Yearning for a return or a revival of the Caliphate is often seen as a cure for a host of Muslim maladies. The absence of a caliphate leads some Muslims to seek it out of desperation, wherever they can find it. This would explain the appeal of individuals like al-Baghdadi and ISIS for Muslims, who otherwise would join the majority, rejecting them as inauthentic. Today, a new caliphate seems elusive, but what is emerging are two centers of gravity in the Muslim world. One is Saudi Arabia and the other is Turkey. Saudi Arabia of course is the theological center of gravity, but we find that Turkey is re-emerging as a center of past glory, civilization, and culture. It is also the home of the last Caliph. This is important as the Muslim world still seeks in earnest a new Caliph. Western apprehensions for a revived Caliphate is often perceived by Muslims as fear that Muslims will once again be a unified force. Much of this two-sided apprehension can be labeled a misunderstanding by both Muslims and non-Muslims of the scope of authority that the Caliph possesses. Yes it is true that the Caliph is the head of the entire Muslim world, but the Caliph is also historically not predisposed to issuing religious edicts himself. That is something that is delegated to others. What is undeniable though is that the Caliphate would represent a strong indication of Muslim identity, a renewed confidence, a renewed sense of unity that has escaped the Muslim consciousness now for over a century. Today, there is a revival of interest in the Ottoman era within Turkey. President Erdogan is certainly at the forefront of restoring interest, In the reputation of Ottoman era sultans and in particular Abdul Hamid II. Abdul Hamid II is enjoying an unprecedented rejuvenation of his biography, his achievements and his reputation within Turkey. He is now seen as a hero, the last true caliph with an empathy and sincerity of Islamic values worthy of the title. Turkish television has produced a miniseries devoted to Abdul Hamid II. No, not Erdogan. But Erdogan and the force behind it has certainly evoked a renewed interest in all things Ottoman. The miniseries is a spin-off of the wildly popular Erdogan, and it is receiving critical acclaim and significant public interest, which suggests a desire from the Turkish public to rediscover its roots which were once deprived to it. It also suggests a hunger for understanding and glorifying what they perceive as the last legitimate caliph of the Muslim world. And in this day and age of social media and communications, a show like Abdul Hamid II is going viral, becoming a source of inspiration beyond the borders of Turkey, reaching into every aspect of the Muslim world. All of this leaves us pondering a few questions. Is the absence of a caliphate a burden or a blessing for the ummah? Can or should so much authority be placed in a single individual? In a climate where democracy prevails so strongly in the imagination of so many Muslims, can there be a caliph that is not democratically elected? Would there then be the need for returning to an original understanding of the caliphate being chosen from within the community of people? If a new caliph emerges today. Will that individual be suspected of being beholden to external influences and pressures? For now, is it better to have the caliphate of the imagination instead of a caliphate in the real world? That is all for this episode of 1400 OMG. We hope you've enjoyed the episode, and don't forget to let us know your thoughts. If you'd like to reach out to us, visit ToledoSociety.com.